His Serene Highness King Morpheus, the ruler of Slumberland and divine protector of everyone's good dream, and his daughter, Princess Camille, extend this invitation to Little Nemo to visit our Slumberland and be the official playmate to Princess Camille. Gee, thanks. Hello and welcome to the Bad Princess Movie Podcast. This is the podcast that seeks to catalog all of the terrible movies about princesses and princesses-to-be. All except for this month, April, uh, where we decided we're going to take a look at a couple of prince movies. So April Fools! April Fools! We tricked ya! Ha-ha! <laughs> Ha-ha! We did it. And uh, our first movie that we are taking a look at this month is Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this one, this was a request by Bree. Oh, so I think we we were talking and we discovered that this is the first one we've done on the podcast where I independently had already owned it. Like yes. I owned a copy of this film already. And also, also Strange Magic, but that's because it's the only one that I owned willingly. <laughs> yeah, Strange Magic is the one that I, I foisted onto you, so it doesn't really count. But uh, yeah, you were you were really excited to do this one. This oh. is this has kind of been on my my radar because I, I think we probably have a similar experience that this is one that I saw as a kid. And oh yeah. You have a ton of fondness for this film. Uh, like, Brie has been, like, dropping the song lyrics to me <laughs> in the, the weeks leading up to this. Oh, uh, I just... You know, I there's something about this one that I just... I love it. <laughs> I love it a lot. It's near and dear to my heart. And unlike... <laughs> Unlike Rainbow Bright, I can actually say that this is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is I, just a good film. I agree with that 100%. Um, this one definitely stands up without that coating of nostalgia on it. Mm-hmm. The The story is great. The animation's great. Some of the action oh. set pieces are really amazing. Oh, for all of the, and I'm sure we'll get into it later, the... Uh... Troubled production that this thing had. Uh, yeah. It came out really, really nice. Yeah, it's um, I mean, I, I guess on that note, like we can get into some of the history here. Um, yeah, so this is a 1989 film based on the Little Nemo in Slumberland comics by Windsor McKay, and this movie was produced by TMS Entertainment. Um, so yeah, this film was stuck in development hell for a long time um based on what i was seeing on wikipedia the the producer of the film started to try and initiate this project back in 1977 which is when when he was trying to get the original film rights from windsor mckay's descendants Ah. Um, and then it sounded like the next few years were the producer trying to figure out directors and like a team for this. Uh, so the film wasn't officially announced until 1982. And then ba- again, based on Wikipedia, it seems like they were still trying to work at a screenplay in the mid 
eight, 1980s, and the actual animating didn't start until 1988, which if you remember, the film came out in 1989. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah. It was, it was, oh boy, howdy. I do, I do like, because I... I do own it on DVD, but instead of pulling out my DVD, I watched it on, uh, it is available on Amazon Prime. Um, and Prime has those little, uh, like, trivia things, and it's like, it's got a whole paragraph about how it was just, like, <laughs> a development nightmare over uh, over the course of seven years. And how mm. uh, Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takahata from Studio Ghibli were uh, <laughs> on it for a year between Mm -hmm. uh, like 82 and 83 and then they left and Miyazaki later called it the worst experience of his career. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh no. Like, oh damn. (laughs) Yikes. Man. (laughs) I, what, yeah, it's, it's kind of a wonder, like you said, it's a wonder that it turned out as good as it did. That it even got made, let alone how good it, it turned out. Yeah. God, I I mean I'm glad for it. I I have a lot of fondness for this movie. This is one of the ones that uh, this is this is specifically not a grandma's basement movie for me. My my family owned this VHS, yeah. and as a result, I watched it a lot as a kid. And I remember this is one of those films that not a lot of my friends knew about. And yeah, even, even growing up as an adult, like. You, when you would talk about this film, most people had never heard of it. If if anything, they were more likely to be familiar with the uh, the Nintendo game that was based off the movie. Ah, yes. Which I didn't know about until like a couple years ago. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a thing that existed, I guess. Yeah, that was that was kind of my experience as well. That it was, oh, okay, I didn't know that there there was a video game based off of the movie. Yeah. But I, I think if I remember Wikipedia, I think it said that the, even though this film was produced with North American audiences in mind, it wasn't released in North America until a few years after uh, the release in Japan. And I yeah. think it also had a pretty limited uh, the- theatrical run. So this was a box office bomb. Yeah. Which is like, I, I guess that explains like no one saw it. <laughs> Which sucks. Yeah. Because even and like talking to people, I was like, I was excited about doing this this podcast episode. And they're like, I have never heard or seen. The, do you mean the fish one? I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's always people different always think, Nemo. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, it, it's wild knowing that um, like this movie is based off of these I would have thought they were very well-known comics, at least if you're um, an animation person, Winter McKay's work. And yet, yeah, somehow a lot of people just still don't know about Nemo. Well, we're here to to change that, because, man. Oh, boy. On that note, maybe let's, is it time to get into the plot summary? Take us away, Christy. Take us on a on a wonderful trip to dreamland. Yes, here we go. We'll get into the plot of Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. What kind of dream will you dream, Little Nemo? What kind of dream will 
and we are introduced to Nemo, a young boy who has a history of wild dreams. One night after seeing a circus parade, Nemo is woken up by a royal procession entering through his bedroom window. Nemo is introduced to Professor Genius, who explains that he has been sent by King Morpheus, the King of Slumberland. King Morpheus wishes to invite Nemo to Slumberland to become the official playmate of his daughter, Princess Camille. Nemo boards the royal dirigible and is flown to Slumberland, where he is welcomed by its citizens. Among them is Flip, a troublemaking clown that Professor Genius warns Nemo to stay away from. While Professor Genius attempts to find the king, Flip takes the opportunity to strike up a conversation with Nemo, during which he accidentally reveals that he owns a map of the mysterious Nightmareland. After some shenanigans with the topsy-turvy architecture of Slumberland's castle, Nemo happens across King Morpheus. Morpheus explains that, along with being Camille's playmate, he wants Nemo to become his heir. As part of being heir, Nemo is now the keeper of the Golden Key of Slumberland, which can open any door. Morpheus warns Nemo that there is one door in Slumberland that must remain locked, the door that bears the same insignia as the key. This... You must promise, and this promise, you must never break. Yes, I promise. Sir, I promise you. Excellent. Now, Professor, escort my heir to meet the princess. Huh? Oh, yes, yes, your majesty. Uh, princess? Nemo meets the princess, and after a quick fight, Camille takes Nemo on a tour of Slumberland. However, it's not all fun and games, as Nemo must get some etiquette if he wants to be a prince. The lessons prove to be too much for Nemo, and he ends up running off to catch his breath. He ends up running into Flip, who tempts Nemo into causing some mischief. After tormenting the Slumberland police force, Nemo and Flip escape into the hidden caverns underneath the city. There they come across a giant, mysterious door, bearing the insignia of the Golden Key. Let's open it. But... But I... Don't you want to see inside? A door this big's got to have something really big, big, big behind it, kid. You think so? I know so. Let's take a little peek, huh? What do you say? I don't know, Flip. I promised the king. I won't tell him if you don't. He'll never know. Trust me. Well, I guess just a little peek won't hurt. boy. Here, hop on. I'll boost you up. Flip hoists Nemo up on his shoulders so that Nemo can unlock the door. Nemo and Flip peer inside, where they see a writhing, oily black mass. Scared, Nemo and Flip frantically close the door, and Flip hurriedly runs off. Nemo chases after him, as he is unable to relock the door without Flip helping him reach the keyhole. Nemo returns to the castle, but before he can say anything, he is rushed into the throne room to attend his coronation. Morpheus addresses the crowd, explaining that as heir, Nemo will be responsible for protecting Slumberland from the evil Nightmare King. He'll do this using the royal scepter, which the king demonstrates by uttering the incantation. 
With that, Nemo is crowned heir and the festivities begin. Nemo is racked with guilt over having opened the forbidden door. Before he can do anything about it, the celebration is interrupted by the swirling black mass, which has crawled its way up from the caverns and into the throne room, where it engulfs King Morpheus. Unable to reach the scepter, King Morpheus is carried off by the black mass, which is revealed to be the Nightmare King. As Camille sobs, Flip reveals that it was Nemo who set the Nightmare King free, causing the crowd to turn on Nemo. With that, Nemo wakes up back in bed. Thinking at first it was only a dream, Nemo is shocked to find that the scepter is lying in his bed with him. Nemo hears the ghostly voice of King Morpheus calling out to him from his closet, and when Nemo draws near, the closet begins spewing water, flooding Nemo's room. Nemo climbs into his bed, where eventually the force of the water pushes Nemo and his bed out of his room, and Nemo finds himself being carried out to sea. Eventually, Nemo floats his way back to Slumberland. There, Professor Genus explains that the Nightmare King has taken Morpheus back to Nightmareland, and nobody knows where Nightmareland is. Nemo takes responsibility for his role in Morpheus's kidnapping, insisting that he will help rescue him. As for finding their way to Nightmareland, Nemo volunteers Flip for the task, remembering his map from earlier. Camille insists on coming along, as does Professor Genius. Despite Flip's inept navigational skills, the group arrives at Nightmareland. Nightmareland is treacherous, with many goblin-like creatures lurking in the dark. Though as it turns out, not all goblins are evil. The group runs into a troop of goblins, the Boomps, who are hoping to escape Nightmareland as they're more fond of making laughs than frights. We're jesters, you know? Ha <laughs> ha! Funny goblins? Really? Yes! I'm on... I'm on pie! I'm on pay! I'm on Unfortunately, one of the members has been caught and imprisoned by the Nightmare King, and so the Booms offer their assistance to Nemo. While the group is traveling, they discuss the Scepter's incantation, which Nemo is trying to learn, as without it the Scepter is useless. Almost on cue, the group is ambushed by winged goblins, and Nemo is powerless to stop them from carrying off his friends. Nemo struggles with the winged goblins and suddenly wakes up, falling out of bed. He's not alone, though, as the Boomps are with him in his bedroom. Immediately after, a creature falls through Nemo's ceiling onto his bed, and it's none other than the Boomps' missing member. The final Boomf brings with him a letter from King Morpheus, which contains the complete incantation for the scepter. Nemo, along with the Boomps, set off on his bed, flying back to Nightmareland. Guided by the Boomps, Nemo navigates his bed into a secret entrance to the Nightmare King's castle. The Nightmare King is waiting for Nemo, and taunts him by showing him the frozen bodies of Nemo's friends. How do you like my collection, Nemo? No! Leave alone! Nemo faces off against the Nightmare King's minions, making quick work of them thanks to Morpheus's note and the activated scepter. The Nightmare King tries to interrupt the incantation but fails, and is destroyed by Nemo. After the dust settles, King Morpheus and the others return to life. 
they come across the emotionless body of Nemo, who was seemingly killed during the battle. King Morpheus uses the magic of the scepter to bring him back to life. Your Majesty, I broke my promise. I opened the forbidden door. I'm very sorry. Hmm. Your courage destroyed the Nightmare King, and his evil kingdom is gone forever. <sighs> Quite the prince you've become, my little Nemo. Nemo is taken back to Slumberland, where he's once again celebrated as the heir. Nemo and Camille set off on a dirigible to return Nemo home. Camille says her goodbye and gives Nemo a kiss. With that, Nemo wakes up in his bed, back at home, for real this time. Nemo's mother and father appear and tell Nemo that they've made plans to see the circus together, and the film draws to a close on Nemo's happy family. So yeah, the <laughs> this is one of those movies that ends with it was literally all a dream, but they also kind of just established that through the whole film. So it's like, yeah, all right, <laughs> sure. Okay. okay, but okay, here's here's the thing though. Um, at least for me, uh, as a kid, because yeah, they they do do this this. So they do this <laughs> Wizard of Oz thing with the movie where the parade that Nemo sees in the beginning of the film. All of the people in the parade are doppelgangers for characters he meets in Slumberland. Yeah. So yeah. Flip, is, Flip is obviously just a clown. Uh, Professor Genius is like a pianist in, uh, on a parade float. Uh, Morpheus is the ringleader. Camille is just like the, the circus princess. Um, <laughs> sure. So yeah, it does. The movie does try and set up this idea that the events are of the film are just in Nemo's head. Uh, and that it's just, you know, everyone's based off these characters that he saw, he, these people that he saw in the parade. But as a kid, I remember thinking that these circus characters were the Slumberland characters. Yeah. Like, they, these are just, like, for either forms they took on Earth or, like, they, I don't know, somehow... Like, this is all part of this plan to meet the neck, to find the heir to Slumberland. Oh, Yeah. And, yeah, and and so as a kid, and even I, I that was that was what I I took away from the circus folk. So it's really funny to me to watch this as an adult because, well, I now understand the intention they were going with. I can't get past that idea that this, the like these aren't just like the characters in secret. And, I, I don't know, oh, and maybe that's and maybe that's just like it's meant to be more ambiguous that way because maybe they are. You never know. I didn't read the Windsor McKay comics. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually a thing that was in there or if they just made it up for the movie or what. What have you? Who knows? It's. I think it's maybe just my desperation to like. Oh, I don't want this to be in Nemo's head. Yeah. I want to I want to be able to go live in Slumberland too one oh, day. Oh, I want to go to fucking Slumberland. That place fucking rules. <laughs> I was messaging Bree as I was starting to watch this film. It's been a few years and so yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, this is making me so bitter that I can't fucking live in Slumberland." 
it's just it's so charmingly designed it's beautiful it's beautiful the colors are beautiful all of the like a lot of the character designs are clearly taken almost directly from the uh the Windsor McKay comics and they're just so charming Mm -hmm. they're just lovely just wonderful and it's just slumberland is just this magical place of of everybody is all happy and there's oh like when they go on like that tour of slumberland and they just man it's so hard to describe because it's just these wondrous little things of like they they get into this like contraption that it's just like a spinning top that shoots like they go flying up into the atmosphere yeah and they're they're like in these little spheres and they start doing like a like just like bouncing like into each bumper other cars and like and when they're like even at the very beginning they're in like this little cart that's like got f- two goats on either side that are just like bopping around and they're passing like fucking zebras and lions and ostriches and they're just like out there and doing stuff Damn. and like there's there's gators that are just like we're cool use us as stepping stones and then they go and yeah the little like flying puffballs and do bumper cars in the sky and they're they get taken away on butterfly wings yeah just butterflies just giant butterflies appear out of nowhere and just like attach themselves to them so that they could fly with fucking butterfly wings ah like man god this, this fucking rules this this place is awesome. I would never want to wake up. Yeah. <laughs> Man. God. Oh, and some of the shit in the castle, too. I don't know oh. why, but I love the upside down room. Oh, yeah. The hallway that's enormous and upside down for no reason. It's just yeah. is. Like, a lot of it feels like, like this is just dream logic. Like, of mm-hmm. course, this is how this is. If you go, if you're dreaming, sometimes a thing is just fucking upside down. Why not? Yeah, yeah. The um, the opening sequence of the film is actually really amazing for that dream logic. Oh um, yeah. So the the film begins with Nemo asleep in bed, and then his bed suddenly rises up and just begins silently floating out of his room. So Nemo wakes up. And he's flying through the sky and, and uh, you know, he's confused at first, but then he kind of gets into it and he starts just flying around the sky. But then he comes across like this ruined apocalyptic looking city. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, just things start going into a nightmare. So his bed just plummets and starts like zooming down the kind of following like the, the path of the skyscrapers to the bottom where he's somehow now in this this train underground railroad tunnel and this steam engine appears behind him and starts chasing him and he's still on his bed so he's just flying along with this train right behind him. Like, describing it feels like you're describing a dream you had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just... And it keeps it keeps going and just stuff keeps changing but there's never, like, any any point where... Nemo comments on it. It's just the stream of consciousness that you yeah. just accept unwilling, un, unwaveringly. And yeah. that's what I love so much because that's like, I that's how my dreams typically go. Yeah, like 
it's a hard it's hard to hit that note of like this actually because things will use dreams as like this is just you know a vehicle mm-hmm. through which we're telling the story and they're they're not making an effort to make it seem like you're dreaming whereas this is like it's actually really capturing the feeling of like this is just this is what your brain just accepts when you're dreaming like yeah. things are just happening and you it's- don't question it because it's a dream yeah, and you're just you're just along for the ride and just at the mercy of whatever your subconscious cooks up for you. <laughs> God. That that opening sequence where like the train chases him into Oh, like a- into his house. Like his bread his bed breaks apart and he he's running towards his house in the distance and he runs in and he slams the door behind him and he's like, Mom, we gotta get out of here and you just see his mom like calmly like making something in the kitchen. She doesn't react. And I'm like, that's a very dream thing where you're just like yelling yeah. for someone for help and they don't even acknowledge you. And you're like, oh, man. Yeah. And then he's, he's still like the the moment. It's so it's so funny because it, it, it could be a completely comical moment in any other movie. But in this film, he like he's yelling to his mom, like, we got to get out. This train is coming. And then he opens the front door and the train is just, <laughs> just right there. Right there. This train snuck up on him and is right outside his door. And it just starts, Nemo just like starts screaming like for his mom. And he's trying to hold the front door closed as the steam engine is trying to break into his house. Oh, man. Just wild. Oh, so good. (laughs) So if y'all hadn't guessed, we both fucking love this film. So just enjoy this for the next hour or or so. yeah. Oh, man. It's just... It's so charming. It's so good. I love it. I love it so much. This... This is a film, um, so Brie, I, I surprised this with Brie off podcast a little while ago, but I, I actually made myself the golden key of Slumberland. Oh, it's so cool. I just, like, sculpted it, um, out of clay, and it just hangs on my wall here, and I don't know, it's just... There's other props that I want to make from this movie, too. Like, I would love to have a full-size scepter. <gasps> that would be really cool. Uh, I have no idea how to make it. I know some people do some amazing things with EVA foam, but I don't know if I could be that clean. Because I want it to be, like, I want it to look like the fucking real yeah. metal scepter. And I oh. want it to glow and light up. Oh, man. Can I t- <laughs> Speaking of the scepter, you know, there's, there is one thing about this movie that I really don't like. Oh, yeah? It's the incantation. No, you don't like it? It's really, I don't know. It's annoying. (laughs) Because it's just this child yelling, Kazama pajama, Kazama pajama. Yeah. All right, stop. It's, but it's so majestic when King Morpheus does it. When King Morpheus does it the one time at the beginning. Yeah, that's kind of. That kind of rules, but like yeah, when when Nemo is flailing on the ground, shouting yeah. out goblins, yeah, yeah, I could I could see that. I I've always wanted to try and memorize the incantation. Yeah, just the just for thing. shits and giggles. Yeah, I um I'll share with you the thing that I didn't like about the film, or the main thing that I found annoying. Um, uh huh. Was it? Flipped? I don't. No, well, well, we'll get to Flip. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that little fucker. 
Um, but I, I actually don't really care for Icarus in this film. Oh, really? Yeah, so Icarus is, uh, Nemo has a flying pet squirrel. Or a pet flying squirrel. And... Yeah. I... I just don't really think Icarus works in this film because mostly because he seems to have some level of human intelligence. Um, yeah, he's like a hyper intelligent flying squirrel. <laughs> yeah, so he kind of like he has like a mumble talk, and he can very clearly understand Nemo and the other characters and and talk to them, and they they respond back to him. And I I think it would be okay if Icarus was was from Slumberland. But he's not. He's supposed to be from the human world. So him yeah. having this human sentience makes him feel too fantastical. And I feel that it blurs the separation between the real world and and the magical, fantastical world of Slumberland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I guess, I guess I just never really questioned it as a kid. I was just like, this is the mm-hmm. animal sidekick that has way too much <laughs> intelligence. But, you know. Yeah, it definitely, like, I, I never question it as a kid either. So it's just, this is just something that has just kind of stood out to me as an adult watching it. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I totally, I get that too. It's like, why, why, A, why, where did this flying squirrel come from? B, why is it hyper intelligent? <laughs> C, who decided to give him uh, aviator goggles and a hat? That's just cute. <laughs> but like did Nemo's mom make them maybe they clearly know about Icarus like they yeah. know that he's got a pet flying squirrel that sometimes <laughs> lives outside but also sometimes sleeps in his bed yeah his parents are just chill with this I guess they they are I would be a little afraid squirrels I don't like squirrels are cute but I don't and from a distance them. Yeah, from a distance. I think I feel like we've talked about this on the podcast. Don't fucking trust squirrels, people. <laughs> They'll fucking bite you if they if they're given the opportunity and it'll oh, hurt. Yeah. I do remember the one time there was a squirrel that came to my I used to live on the ground floor in my last apartment and I had the screen door. I like I had the glass door open, I, I screen door closed and then I looked over and there was a little fucking squirrel and it just had its like little paws on the screen door and like was just <laughs> looking at me and I was like, "Hey, what's up?" Can I help you? And it was just like chilling. I was like, I don't have anything for you, but it's nice to see you. You're very cute. Oh, I'd be I'd be suspicious. <laughs> what like, does a squirrel want? I was just checking things out. Just saying hi. I I feel very much that Icarus was probably um the result of a Disney influence. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, especially because a good few Disney people worked on this film. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I noticed right in the beginning credits, there's like story consultants, uh, Frank and Frank- Ollie were there. Yeah. Um, so Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson are the, they were former Disney animators. They were two of Disney's nine old men, which for, non-animation people they the nine old men were a group of animators who worked with disney from the 1920s onwards and they're very important figures in like the history of disney and also just yeah. like, the history of animation so i do feel like 
I don't, it just feels like such a Disney thing to have the animal sidekick. So I, I yeah. can't say for sure, but I feel like Icarus was their fault. <laughs> I Yeah. Well, and plus Icarus gives uh, Nemo someone to bounce off of when he's not in Slumberland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of a typical thing for movies i find that that's that's the main reason why they give you that animal friend but i find that there's usually a point in the film where they like the character does meet up with other people and then the animal friend becomes less important because now there's just regular people yeah (laughs) you know yeah i don't know i yeah yeah that's fair it's like, I, I don't hate Icarus, it's just that I feel like I'd be happy, you know, if he wasn't there. <laughs> that sounds mean. Damn. I don't get... <laughs> I'm sorry. Jeez. <laughs> uh, on on the note of some of the other credits for this film, I was, I was really impressed watching the opening credits because there was a, a lot of important names that popped up or a lot of infamous names that popped up so along with Mm -hmm. um frank thomas and ollie johnson we have chris columbus who helped write this screenplay and he's best known for directing the first two home alone movies and some of the early harry potter films oh okay and then uh we have the french comic artist uh jean mobius gerard who Mm -hmm. is one of two people credited with the story and he also helped with the conceptual design. So Mobius uh, is like his comic artist name. And so he like, he's pretty famous in his own right. And I guess he, I, I, I from what I've read, like he's a big fan of Windsor McKay and that's kind of how he got involved with this film. Um, there's also the American writer, Ray Bradbury, who was credited ah, yes. with the uh, concept for the screen. Uh, there's, there was another Disney connection in that the Sherman brothers wrote the songs for Little Nemo, and they're also the songwriters for Disney's Mary Poppins, The Jungle Book, The Aristocrats, uh, a bunch of other films. That makes sense why the music is so fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, and then, of course, you mentioned, uh, the Studio Ghibli connection, uh, with Miyazaki, uh, but probably my favorite person credited has having worked on this film is Brian Froud, who is credited with design development. And Brian Froud is, of course, best known for being the concept artist for Jim Henson's Labyrinth. <laughs> so, of course, of course. Also, the, you know, the Dark Crystal, and he's also does a bunch of other art. But also, most importantly, uh, Jim Henson's Labyrinth, my favorite. Yeah. Oh, that's. Yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of talented folks mm-hmm. were attached to this film at one point or another i let me tell you i was so surprised uh to see brian Froud involved um because i i watched this film a lot as a kid which was before labyrinth took over my life <laughs> uh-huh so his his name in the credits meant nothing to me as a kid um, but I remember the last time I watched this movie as an adult was about five or so years ago. Um, and by that point, you know, I was full on Labyrinth fan. And I just remember 
we just were sitting around. We decided to watch the movie, and I saw Brian's Brian Froud's name pop up, and I was just like fucking gobsmacked. Like I could not <laughs> believe that all this time he had worked on Little Nemo. Just his work has always been with you, Christy. Apparently, um, and it's funny because in hindsight, it's kind of obvious too because. Uh, well, I, I don't know for sure what he worked on. I'm pretty sure that he he worked on the Boomps and the other goblin oh, creatures. Yeah, it's. I was he, thinking, I was like, it's got to be the Boomps. Yeah, we are, are the, the Boomps. Boomps. Boom, boom. Good <laughs> goblin Boomps. Boom, boom. Oh, I love them. Oh, uh, me. They're just. They're so weird. Yeah, <laughs> like they're kind of a nightmare, but they're adorable. <laughs> I guess, I guess that's why they're from Nightmare Land. It, I, it makes sense. They're they're not so bad on their own, but their main thing is that they are like they can melt into each other. Yeah, they can like they can all become a singular organism. Yeah, but they're just like, and I mean credit to the animation because it oh, just man. looks unnerving. It's because yeah, they just form into this sort of like gray brown blob and then their faces and like heads can just like poke out of it and it's like it's horrible looking (laughs) (laughs) but they're so sweet like they're just like these sweet little little gerblins that just yeah like be fun and have a nice time yeah just trying to escape from nightmare land and they're so helpful they're great I do find it pretty funny because up to that point, they all of the characters had been relying on Flip to lead them through Nightmare Land, and well, I'm we're don't worry, we're still we're getting to Flip and his fucking chicanery. Fucking it, Flip, but but I really love how they they end up running into the Bumps and the Bumps are like, uh, you know, we could help you, we could lead you to the, the Nightmare King's castle, and Flip tries to pipe up and be like, hey, that's my job. And everybody is like, no, fuck you, Flip. You're love- fired. <laughs> You're fired. We're going with these goblins who we just met and who we trust implicitly. Yeah. We believe these guys. Yeah. We- so much more than we believe you. Anything yeah. you've ever said. Fuck you, Flip. <laughs> I hate you so much, Flip. Fucker. Oh, God. Should we just, should we get the Flip discussion out oh of the way? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Flip. He's such a shithead. He's such a shithead. Like, he... he's just this asshole. Yeah. I I don't know if this is a sign of my age, but watching this film and seeing this clown who is at least middle age, if not older, manipulate this naive little boy into causing trouble and unleashing the Nightmare King, I just, I hate Flip so much. He's such a, he's such a dick. Like... He's just, he's like, I'm going to cause problems on purpose and I'm going to like weasel my way. Like, I know this kid's going to be important. So I'm going to weasel my way in with him and make him my, make him like me and and show him that I'm cool. And you're like, oh, okay. So you're just a manipulative middle-aged clown man. (laughs) Yeah, that's, (laughs) I did. This guy sucks. I didn't even think of that, but you're right. It's like he knew, like he was waiting for Nemo to arrive, and he yeah. immediately like is trying to worm his way into his good graces. Yeah. Oh, Flip, you fucker! He's such a fucker. I hate him. It's <laughs> after 
After King Morpheus gets kidnapped, Nemo tells Professor Genius that it was all his fault and he's going to make it right. And as a kid, I agreed with that. Like, you know, oh yeah, Nemo Nemo broke his promise and he opened the door. You know, it is Nemo's fault. Um, but as an adult, hell no, this is not Nemo's fault. Fucking flip this adult man who should know better coerced this little boy into opening the door. This is Flip's fault. Yeah, like, I know the lesson. I think I actually wrote that as a note in here. Where is it? Fuck. I know the lesson is meant for kids to be keep your promises, but also, like, what the fuck? Yeah. This isn't, this isn't fair. If this, if... An adult, again, an adult should know better. An adult adult should know better. Both, like, Flip should know better. Also, Mobius, Morpheus. Morpheus, um, yeah. Giving the power to end the world to an eight-year-old he just met. (laughs) um, Yeah. Maybe was not the wisest choice. And not, Nemo was set up to fail by multiple people here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And especially, like, Morpheus should have told Nemo what was behind the spooky door. And that yeah. probably would have solved a lot of questions. Cause if Yeah. Cause it's like the it's like just trust, like keep your promises mm-hmm. and trust the adults. And it's like sure, that's a good lesson, but also like you here's a kid who's very curious and prone to getting into into mischief mm-hmm. and can't stop fucking stealing pies even though he promised not to. <laughs> Yeah. And now you're giving him an item that, if if used improperly, can spell the end of Slumberland. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, the stealing pies thing. Nemo, like, Nemo's mom in the beginning of the film is like, don't you eat this pie, Nemo. And he he keeps doing it. And so that's, like, that's this thread of, like, keep your promise, Nemo. Don't eat the pie. And... That, there's a big difference between eating a pie your mom baked and then ending the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not equivalent. Yeah. God. Man. Oh. I do have written down just in my notes, flip you stupid fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate him. Fuck this guy. Oh, God. He, he makes things worse as the movie goes on. Um, like, he's, he, he is just a bad person. Like, he's yeah. awful just bad he he's supposed to so they yeah so he gets involved in the adventure because he has this supposed map to nightmare land and so flip instead of like i don't know helping people out after he kind of caused the king to get kidnapped or and and he he insists that like oh only like this this map is in a secret code that only i can ring read so i guess you're just gonna have to let me lead you to to nightmare land so he he's supposed to be piloting this boat on the way there um and he ends up he he decides to go to sleep well so all the other characters are already asleep flip decides to abandon his post as captain and go snooze and then guess what they end up sailing right into a storm and it's like a whirlpool they just yeah. go into a whirlpool and it's, it's like, and all it's, right only by like good luck that they end up on the shore of nightmare land it's d- flip fucking sucks <laughs> it does and then again it gets worse because yeah because they they wind up down this whirlpool the the fucking boat they're on breaks 
mm-hmm. and everyone's in the water and then they get to shore and f- they're like okay flip where the fuck do we go now and he's like cool and he checks his map and it's because they were in the water the map is ruined and he mm-hmm. instead of saying anything it's just like oh we go that way like he just starts pretending yeah, and then he even he even goes so far as to like he sneaks off at one point to try and redraw part of the map, but he just likes making shit up as he goes. Yeah, and that's where they they run into the the bumps who, uh, they they like they end up they they accidentally they're oh so innocently call out flip, uh, and reveal his, uh, his bullshit to the rest yeah. of the group. <laughs> They're like, we were just helping him redraw the map. And they're like, what do you fucking mean, redraw the map, flip? Yeah, flip. <sighs> and then he gets he he gets uh, fired as leader. Mother and then, flipper. God and damn. then Camille makes him uh, carry all her luggage. Oh, I love Camille. She's really great. Yeah. She is a she is a fun character. It's it's funny because her first scene is her just kind of being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very funny. Like, because he's like, when they're like, come be the, the playmate for Princess Camille. He's like, oh, girls, I've never mm. played with a girl before. Uh, I'm I'm a boy. I don't know how to play with girls. And then they're like, here's some cookies. And he's like, okay, I'll come. <laughs> And then the first the first thing that when he meets this girl, she's like totally ripping him like a new she's like, I can't believe you came here in your underwear. Yeah, because he's he's wearing these old timey pajamas. Like onesie pajamas. Yeah. And then it just rips on him. Uh she calls Icarus a rat. <laughs> I think your little rat wants to come along too. Rat! Icarus is not a rat. Get it straight, okay? And he's my best friend. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I apologize. Hey, don't apologize to me. Apologize to my rat. <laughs> Oops. Um. Oh. Come on. I. I. I'm. I meant. Uh, uh, I don't. Don't apologize to me. Apologize to my rat is a, a line that has stuck with me my entire life for some reason. I don't remember. I don't know why. It's just oh, very funny. That's awesome. But yeah, she it's it is cute because it's I don't know they somehow they do a good job where although she's being kind of an asshole to him, it all feels like good natured ribbing. Yeah, it's just sort of like because she doesn't she doesn't double down on it. Like he kind of calls her out. He's like, "I'm in my pajamas because you literally had your people get me in the middle of the night. Like, mm-hmm. what do you want from me?" And Icarus isn't a rat, and she's just like, "Yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm just." I'm just ribbing you. Like, I'm just. I, it, uh, you she are correct. You. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, then she's yeah. like, let's just go hang out. Yeah. And then they, again, they do that magical tour of Slumberland, oh. which ends in the, uh, you've got to get some etiquette if you, you want, want to, to be, be a, a prince. prince. So we're here to meet you and to teach you lots of handy hints. How to sit and stand and look real grand with a proper attitude. You got, got to, to get, get some, some etiquette because prince is never, never rude. rude. Yeah. <laughs> you are God. so good at remembering these song lyrics. Cause I, I can usually remember the tunes, but not the lyrics. <laughs> I think I only know that one because like a few years ago, it like popped into my head out of nowhere. And I was like, fuck. And I had to like look up the lyrics so that it would leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
Uh, the only way that you could get the uh, release yourself from the curse. Exactly. That that is the, that's the song that always stuck out in my head. Like that's usually the first thing I think of when yeah. I think of this movie. Um, it's I think it's just the catchiest song for my brain, and it may or may not be the reason why I've always wished that I could learn fencing. Oh yeah, he's like learning fencing and horseback riding. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's just fun. <laughs> oh, just so much fun. It's. It's funny because I realize this song is almost like a fun pairing to the To Be a Princess song from Princess and the Pauper. Because it's all about like teaching somebody how to be royalty and, and oh. it's kind of like, yeah, okay. po- yeah. like poking fun at the good and bad parts of being a royal. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got to get some etiquette if you want to be a prince. So we're here to meet you and to teach you lots of handy hits. Come and sit and stand out and look real grand with a proper attitude. Oh, you got to get some etiquette because a prince is never rude. You've got to get some etiquette in the way you eat your food. I, all of the songs in this one are pretty good. Because there's, there's the opening song. Hmm. Uh... What kind of dream will you dream, little Nemo? That one? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna... <laughs> you gotta... I think I, you need oh. to sing us a little ditty from each song oh, now. no. I'm trying to think of the other ones. Because there's um, that one. There's that one. I think the next one is, like, the little song that plays in the background when they're on the tour. Oh. I've never really... I I, I noticed it on this watch through, and it's cute, but I don't think I ever really, like, internalized <laughs> that one. Because no one's I, actually singing it in in the yeah in the scene. I, again, I could think of the tune, but I if I were to try and sing the lyrics, it would just be a lot of me mumbling to song. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the etiquette song. Mm-hmm. And then there's and the we are the bumps. I actually, I forgot that that song existed, to be oh, honest. That's another one that I think got in my head a long time ago around the same time. I was like, wait, what about that? What about the bumps? <laughs> it's not bad, but it's just, yeah, for some reason, it just it did not stick in my memory. That's fair. It's a weird one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You know what did fucking stick in my memory? Um right. The Nightmare King, uh, fucking scary uh, to me as a little kid. Oh yeah, the um the scene where he escapes, that like I, the, I didn't... the effects on that like goop that yeah. escapes is like I had a note because it's like oh the like the effects on the nightmare goo are just they're so creepy <laughs> like yeah. it's gross. It's, I I didn't get scared by many films as a kid, but this was one of them, and it was oh. yeah, just the oozing, just black mass of 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 like, because it's just like it's like living oil, but it's almost like there's embers in it also too, because yeah, there's a glowing there's like kind glowy of glowy bits. Oh man, oh, and it just I think, um, it I think that that probably scared me a lot as a kid because. 
in that form, it doesn't feel like you could hide from him. Like no, because he just like slithers around. Yeah, and he could probably just like seep into whatever area you're hiding in, just like go through the cracks in the walls or something. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, it's very creepy and very good. I I'm actually less far less afraid of the Nightmare King. As, like, a a, a being that you see at the end? Yeah. Yeah, when he's just, like, a Chernabog-looking kind of guy. Yeah, that's what he looks like. He just looks like a big demon. Yeah, and and it's almost like, because he's more solid, he's less scary. You, You see him, Nemo, there's, like, these secret caverns around his castle, and Nemo's going in and out of them, and he's reaching in... To try and get Nemo, and if he was his his oozy, bubbly oil form, he could probably get Nemo pretty easily. But when he's his big, solid demon form, he's he gets stymied yeah. super fast. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's much scarier as a pile of goo. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, the animation. Oh, that. it's really good. So freaking good, and just like Nemo. Nemo's like trying to get Morpheus the scepter, but oh. the crowd the crowd is like running in terror, so he's being pushed back by the crowd and he's like desperately trying to get Morpheus the scepter. Oh. oh it's a good scene. It's a good sequence. Just before that we get to see fucking Morpheus and Professor Genius just fucking breaking it down and dancing. <laughs> yeah. Fucking sick as hell. <laughs> oh god, so fun. Oh, I like I like Morpheus. I know he made he did a bad move given like an eight year old yeah. <laughs> that key. But he he also seems like a pretty cool dude. Yeah, I, I he's like a big Santa Claus looking man. I like yeah. him. Yeah, he is very much a Santa Claus. And I I was wondering, do you feel like is that just an easy way to get kids to like a big grandfatherly type character is you just make them look like Santa Claus? <laughs> Maybe. We're, we're he, trained from when we are very small. Yeah. To, to like big, big jolly men with big white beards. Yeah, and, and if there's any kind of association with toys, it just heightens the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. His little toy trains. Yeah. Oh, I want to ride those trains. Me too. Mor- Morpheus has this little train set that's just like, I guess, just set up all over the castle and Nemo Nemo finds him and they just go on a little train ride through the castle and it just looks like the most fun thing ever. It's just delightful. I did, I did kind of laugh this time around, though, because it was like, Nemo, part of the reason why Nemo is brought to Slumberland is so that Princess Camille has a playmate. Um, but then the, here's her dad just playing with these trains by himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck you, dad. Like, come on, man. Get your daughter involved in this hobby of yours. Yeah. Also, also the fact that he's like, I'm bringing Nemo to Slumberland, Slumberland to be my sole heir, and I'm like, you have a daughter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Like, what about Camille, sir? Yeah. Is this a, you need a boy me? to do this? Like, why? Yeah, they never, they never comment on that. I yeah. Like, I Camille's see- just chill with this. I'm like, what? Yeah, I was like, does not give a shit. Ugh. I I kind of feel like that's probably I assume a holdover from 
the original comics. Um, Probably, yeah. Because, of course, those were the 1910s, I think. Yeah. So. That, yeah, like, that makes sense. That, like, just, like, inherent sexism. <laughs> yeah. Questions it. It's like, of course. Of course you need a male heir, stupid. <laughs> Obviously. Like, you know, just like, yeah, the thought of Camille becoming queen doesn't even come up. God. Oh, God. Poor Camille. Camille, oh. I just, she, so yeah, we talked about Camille being introduced. Sorry, we're jumping all over the place. But we talked about Camille being introduced and, like, she never sort of loses her, like, I'm a princess sort of air. But she also, like, fucking Dex flip in the face. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> She's great. Like, Fuck this guy. And she just straight up punches him in the face. Yeah. And and, and she, she falls over. Like she she decks him good. Yeah, and she she is like the same age as Nemo. So like this little eight-year-old girl just fucking wallops this like this this middle-aged man. This adult man. Yeah. It's great. I, I don't know. Maybe they're like ten or twelve. I don't know Maybe. what the age of these children are. It's they, hard to they, tell. Yeah, they they feel pretty young. Yeah. At at least Nemo, like Camille definitely feels a little bit more a, a little bit older, I think just because she's a bit more I don't know, it's just that princessy vibe where she's a little more graceful and restrained than Nemo who is like excitedly like when he boards the dirigible, he's just shouting yeah. like yippee! Wahoo! Kind of And he's like taking the the steering wheel of the boat and just like slamming it back and forth and just like he looks like a little kid just having the time of his life yeah oh i did really we should so camille punching uh flip comes after uh so they were they were going to shoot flip out of a cannon into space (laughs) he was for his for his involvement in the release of the nightmare they were, and he was already like a wanted criminal in yeah. Slumberland. They were like, because Nemo, when he meets up with Professor Genius, is like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta go get Flip because he's got the map. And he's like, oh, well, we might be too late because we were banishing him to space. Yeah, so they, they had like this big like. This dramatic ceremony where there's drums, like, uh, you know, that drum roll to lead lead up to them shooting this cannon into space. Yeah, they load flip into a cannonball and are about to just fucking shoot him into space. And Camille was leading it. It was like by her orders they were going to shoot this fucker into space. (laughs) Oh, God. So good. Do you do you think so flips on the flips map? Do you think it was real or not? I feel like it was. I feel like in the beginning it probably was. Okay. I as a kid I always assumed he was telling the truth and that it was a legit map, but watching it as an adult, part of me was wondering if it was just completely full of shit. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was. I feel like he wouldn't like that's a weird thing to just make a fake of and then keep with you. Maybe. But I don't know. Who knows? It could have been bullshit. Because if it was all just fake and he was just bullshitting the whole time, then why would he go through the trouble of trying to remake it instead of just keep making it up as he goes along? 
Unless it was just to, like, again, keep up, up the grift. Yeah. He's just, oh, he's so untrustworthy. <laughs> Flip sucks. <laughs> he's, I should mention, I, he's voiced by Mickey Rooney. He sure um, is. Does a great job. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually remember, because I, I feel like Mickey Rooney was in quite a lot of voice acting roles and stuff that I watched as a kid. Like, I, he was in the, um, the Rankin Bass, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. yeah. And I remember always feeling like his voice never suited, or at least the majority of the characters he performed, I didn't feel like his voice suited them. Mm. Um, but Flip is one character that I feel like he he definitely for sure, like that's a great voice for Flip. Oh, yeah. That sleazy kind of like showman-y. Like there is like a bit of a charm to his voice. Like he's not entirely without. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's, like, he is, he's a con man, so he needs to be able to schmooze people. So he needs a voice that could, yeah, could do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that, that sleazy voice, but there's also kind of that element of, like, sort of grandfatherly old man in his voice. Yeah. It works good. It fits really well. The only other voice that I recognized is, uh... Uh, Professor Genius is voiced by the guy who played Odo on Star Trek <laughs> Deep Space Nine. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Odo's over here. God, it's it's funny because there's like I, I was kind of looking this film up on um, IMDB and there's not a lot of names I recognize but there are like, like Tress McNeil uh, That's like a one-line part. <laughs> yeah, Tress McNeil and I think Nancy Cartwright too. Yeah, and and yeah, just like one-line people. I was I I watched this film try twice and I was trying to pick them out and I couldn't. <laughs> like, where the well, fuck are you? Because Nancy Cartwright was his mom, right? And then Tress McNeil is like Nemo takes an elevator up to uh, Camille's like broom i guess and there's a little like weird caterpillar on top of it that goes last stop princess camille's chambers and that's oh, it okay. <laughs> that's literally all that. she says okay i'm starting to picture it now all right yeah i i think nemo's so nemo's mother is listed as jennifer darling so I oh don't okay think... so maybe that's not yeah did she play bon bon oh god let me see there i go no, she she was a page. So, well, she probably was like somebody because the pages all kind of like look oh, like Bon Bon. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, Alan Alan Oppenheimer um was a minor character as well, and he he, he was one of the boomps. Yeah, and um and he was like the original voice of Skeletor among other things. <laughs> Good. Good. Perfect. Good. (sighs) Yeah, it's like people, it's like these are voices you know, but you don't know their names. Yeah, and like they they all do a good job, but it's just, I, they aren't, I guess, from the era either they haven't done a ton of other voice acting roles, or they're just not from the era of voice actors that I'm really familiar with. Yeah. June Foray was apparently the librarian. Oh, hell yeah. 
Fuck yeah, June Foray. Oh, she's so cool. Uh, even, like, the guy who voiced Nemo, sometimes, like, one thing that I kind of forgot to, uh, uh, mention in Rainbow Bright last time was, um, a, a thing that I often notice when you have a, a, a bunch of children voice actors mm-hmm. is they tend to yell everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, everything is at a, at a shouting pitch. And and Nemo is like that sometimes, but not the whole time, which is good. <laughs> yeah, he does he does a decent job. Um, yeah, ne- Nemo's voice actor is Gabriel Damon, and he uh, it's funny he was actually Littlefoot in the original Land Before Time. Oh hell yeah, yeah, and he was also the little shithead kid in RoboCop Two. <laughs> <laughs> you know. The little shithead kid. Yeah. I've never seen RoboCop. I, I, so uh, a mutual friend of ours, her partner is super into RoboCop. Ah. So a while back, we all watched, we watched all three of the original RoboCop films. And so that's, that's how I know about that little shithead kid. He was just, it's his, he was just like the genius kid that was causing crime. It's just uh, RoboCop 2 is not a good movie. Fair. So it's really funny to me that oh, like he he was nice. I liked him in Little Nemo at least. Yeah, and and as Littlefoot. Yeah, I just don't like him when he's trying to fight RoboCop. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Oh, oh! Can we just quickly touch on the like the really neat little uh Gertie the dinosaur? <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes! The Gertie the dinosaur cameo. Yeah. So Windsor McKay mm-hmm. is is Gertie one of the first animations just like ever? I believe so. I forget the exact date, but Gertie the dinosaur would have been early nineteen nineteen fourteen. Yes. So so okay, so okay. History of animation stuff for y'all is a lot of the earliest animations. They were like vaudeville acts, like. Uh, it was part of a performance. You know, you'd have this projector showing the animation on screen and there'd be, like, a, a, you know, somebody there presenting this animation or, or often, like, interacting with it. And this is what Gertie the Dinosaur was. Windsor McKay did this little vaudeville act where he had this dinosaur character would come on screen and he would give commands to Gertie and, and she would do things and she would, like, disobey him and and... So there, there is a, uh, at one point in Little Nemo, Flip and Nemo are just going to cause trouble and there's this dinosaur that is helping to hold up a bandstand and Nemo and Flip tickle her nose and she sneezes in the, and she drops the bandstand and, and that's Gertie. Yeah, it's like, I, cause like, I saw it on this watch and I'm like, wait a second, I know that dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gertie is, is popularly thought to be the earliest animated film. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard I've heard um humorous phases of a funny face. Oh yes. Nin- that one that one is the one that I was always taught was like the first animated film, but Gertie is like one of the early ones where the character had a really distinct personality. 
Um, yeah. Like she would she would cry when she gets scolded and was just just kind of a little shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, man, yeah. Windsor McKay is just a really interesting part of animation history. Um, cause, cause again, like he, he was working during the 1910s. So that predates Walt Disney, uh, Walt Disney's animation work by like at least a decade. Um, mm -hmm. and this is, this is of course an audio medium. So it's really hard to describe Windsor McKay's animation. So I would really highly recommend people go to YouTube and check them out. Um, and then once you're done that, go and look at some of his contemporaries and compare them because Windsor McKay's animations are s like just on this, this just this huge leap in quality compared to like something like Bobby Bumps. Uh, that's a series that ran in the 1910s, and it's this old timey silent film series of this little kid on his various little kid adventures. Ah, yes, and. And Windsor McKay, meanwhile, is over here in his own little corner where he has, like, his characters that have so much dimension and and just... Yeah, his, his way skill as, like, a, a draftsman and an artist, like, he put that into every... Like, he made this, like, detailed dinosaur that was, like, doing stuff. Mm. You're just like, dang. Yeah. In every single frame, there's just so much of... There's so much more flow in his animation compared to a lot of his contemporaries. And the crazy thing about the majority of his animation career is that he was working before cells were a, a thing. Yeah. And, so like and, you, like most animation, if you draw like one background mm -hmm. and then you'd layer the character on top. Whereas I think it, I think I learned that like, Every cell in Guardian the Dinosaur, he was redrawing the whole background every time. Well, that's that's the thing is that cells, uh, so so cells for anyone that doesn't know, they're just like the, tra the transparent plastic sheets that you would draw ink and paint on to create the frames of animation. Um, with with Windsor McKay, he was redrawing every single frame onto paper. Yeah. So over and over again, he's having to not only redraw the character, but redraw the background. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because in Gertie the Dinosaur, it actually, like, it really helps the effect because it looks like, there like, there's trees and leaves in the background. And it almost gives them the effect that there's just a wind blowing these leaves ever so slightly. But it's it's not deliberate. It was just the effect of having to painstakingly... <laughs> redraw every single goddamn bit of the background every single frame oh my god yeah god it's just it, the amount of detail that he had in his animations and again just like the flow and the draftsmanship of it is just it's amazing it's really just really cool just really really cool <laughs> so good it's it's kind of it, again it's just it's wild looking at the stuff he was making and then even like 10 years later you know when when disney even even like when mickey mouse is still coming out like just the difference in quality it feels like i i don't want to like dumb down disney and what they did yeah but that, like you know they definitely they were like we're gonna make everything as simple as possible mm-hmm Whereas Windsor yeah. McKay was like, nah. 
Yeah, he was just like, he was like, I'm not making any concessions for animation. I'm drawing characters the way I draw them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a wild thing to just look back on a hundred yeah. years later. It is like years it's later. It's it's crazy to think it's like just only a hundred years. Yeah. Just fucking baffling. Man. Oh my god. <laughs> Dang. God, early animation is just wild. How do how did people do this shit? <laughs> god, I don't know. How yeah. <laughs> Oh just, man! Just baffling. Oh my god. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a, a lot of like other visual references to like the comic that he did and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I especially love the walking bed because that's one of the yeah. like one of the like memorable pages that you see sometimes when when uh, if you look up anything about Little Nemo in Slumberland, it's the page where his he's on the bed and the bed's legs get really long and like wobbly. Like, really, mm-hmm. like, f- f- I'm doing a motion with my arms that I hope <laughs> you can feel as an audience. Right. Yeah. But they're very wavy. It's yeah, great. just, like, long and spindly and, and climbing over the buildings. Yeah, but not, uh, like, not spindly in a creepy way, but, like, in a really, like, rubbery sort of, like, Yeah, like a, a, a whimsical, whimsical, <laughs> fun whimsical. way. yes. Mm-hmm. That is something that it's fun that they were able to blend because uh, in the comics they would often end with Little Nemo waking up in bed, or rather, like waking up after having fallen out of bed. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that I like that they were able to fit that into the narrative of the film, where he keeps waking up and yeah. having to like redo the journey back into Slumberland. It also, I think, was like as a kid that was like, oh, that's weird. You wake up, but you're not awake. Oh, I don't like yeah. that. I still don't like that thought. <laughs> <laughs> like the false awakening you can get from dreams. I've only like had that happen like once. I don't think I can't remember it ever happening to me. But I've it's always been a thing where it's like, Duh. yeah, you, <laughs> seems you uncomfortable. Definitely... I don't like that. Yeah. Have you? Do you? Have you ever had weird dreams like on this caliber? I mean, sort of. Not this caliber, but, like, I've had pretty, like, weird, elaborate dreams. Yeah. But usually I, I only remember, like, a scene or two. Yeah. That's that's kind of my problem as well, where unless I immediately upon waking up, I, like, lay there for a bit and really try and commit the dream to memory, I tend to forget most of it. Mm-hmm. I did have a dream once where I had chicken wings with David Bowie. That was pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's amazing. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh my god. Um, it was actually... Uh, I, and I kind of know why I, I had that dream. Because just before I went to bed, I remember having a lengthy discussion with our friend Steve uh, about Labyrinth. Steve. Um, so, the return so of I, Steve. Yes, Steve always seeps into these podcast episodes. But um yeah, I remember like talking like with him a bunch about uh some stuff in Labyrinth and went to bed, had this dream where uh 
part of the dream was just that I was sitting in like a tavern, like an old like medieval type tavern. Uh-huh. Um and it was me and some friends from university who at that point I had not like spoken to in like like 7 years. Um <laughs> And we were just sitting at a table when David Bowie shows up and, like, just kind of joins us. Oh, my God. I remember specifically (laughs) that he declined to eat the chicken wings. (laughs) But he he just, like, kept sitting with us at the table and was just, like, chit-chatting. chilling. Just hanging out with David Bowie while you enjoy the chicken wings. And I remember in the dream, I was like, oh, my God, it's David Bowie. Like, I was, like, flipping out. (laughs) David fucking Bowie. Um, But what was was great is, is upon waking up, um, and telling Steve about this dream <laughs> is that we realized that it was actually the one year anniversary of David Bowie dying. Oh, oh so then I I dreamed about David Bowie having chicken wings with David Bowie on the anniversary of his death. Which is just like I don't know. It says something about me as a person, I guess. <laughs> The spirit of David Bowie came to hang out with one of his biggest fans while, while yeah. she ate chicken wings in her dreams. <laughs> even just like, even just like, oh, what's the greatest thing I could dream about? Having David Bowie, but also having some chicken wings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's beautiful. Yeah, that was a good dream. Oh my god. <sighs> <laughs> Oh god. Oh. Is there any anything else you can think of for this one, Bree? I mean probably, but most of my most of my notes for this one are just praise and uh, like all capital letters of like the things that I like. Like I just have the etiquette song and Gertie and <laughs> Flip you stupid fuck. <laughs> and fucking deck him, Camille. And yeah. I love these cute goblins. So I think we've touched oh. on most. Awesome. Well, uh, oh. I think that's probably going to be it for this one. For, like, we, I think we are safe to say we would highly recommend oh, this yeah. film for people. Like, it is a kid's film. But mm-hmm. it is it's it is a delight. Yeah. It is a wonderful I, thing to watch, especially if you if you are into also like animation history. It's got a lot of cool stuff. It's just it's a beautiful film. It's a lovely time. Go watch it. Honestly. Yeah. Definitely watch it and just enjoy. It's absolutely worth it. Um yeah. the, uh, before we close out though, it's uh we've got an email, Bree. <gasps> an email? It's letter time. It's letter time. It's letter, letter time. time. <laughs> Fuck. That's a that's a special video in arcade top twenty shout out yeah. to our fellow Canadian. Yeah, shout out to a very specific age and group right there. Um, <laughs> just FYI to everybody, dash your hopes and dreams. Nicholas Piglas was not his real fucking name. God we were damn lied it. to. What? That how? I yeah, I was fucking crushed. I found oh, that shit. out. Anyways, <laughs> but um, yeah, we got so we got an email from Mel, and uh, oh. this is in regards to the Thumbelina, a magical story episode that we put out. Uh huh. So uh, I won't read uh, the entire email, 
But uh, so Mel says, I hope you're both doing well. I found your podcast a few months ago and I've been enjoying both the good and bad films you've covered. This episode in particular was so nostalgic for me. I remember renting it a few times from Blockbuster on VHS. And oh, the Deke Sailor Moon was amazing, even with its cuts and censorship. Yeah. Thumbelina, A Magical Journey is such a cute film that no one ever really discusses, and I'm glad you watched this kind of hidden gem. I really enjoyed the story and the characters in the movie. Um, and so something that Mel pointed out, so Mel ended up looking up some of the episodes of the original series and finding, because uh, we kind of like discussed, like, you know, what what kind of stuff they might have cut from mm-hmm. the, uh, the movie. And in regards to Maya not be seeming like that bad of a kid, Mel says that in the beginning, there does there are some additional scenes showing Maya hitting another kid in the face <laughs> and then like making fun of of other kids. So there's a bit more Holy context. Shit. Yeah, like she 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 nails him in the face with a like a ball, and then the kid, uh, their mom goes to like, uh, like tell this to to Maya's mom, and then Maya tr- Maya's mom tries to make Maya apologize, and then Maya makes fun of the kid for crying. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So they cut out all the things about Maya actually being a shit kid and just put like the really minor offenses in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and it was really weird too because I like I looked it up after Mel pointed it out and it feels like you could easily add those scenes in because it's just at the beginning of the film before uh Maya's mom goes to the the witch. Yeah. So just just include those fucking like like maybe they, two they were like we don't want to to show uh a child acting this bad because it'll it'll give the children ideas. I don't know, but it just felt like, like, why wouldn't you include those? That's that, important. That it, it's very important to the point you're making. Yeah. God. Um, there was also oh. also some other fun stuff where, like, uh, I, I guess at one point, the good witch enchants Maya's, uh, her hair bow to help give her wisdom. Oh. Um, which is something that, like, you see in, like, the final battle between Maya and uh, yeah. Cassandra. Her hair bow glows, and it's something that I remember noticing, but I also, I, I guess I just kind of wrote it off as, like, a stylistic choice and not something that was explained in the series. Oh, yeah. Um, And also, apparently, Cassandra turns out to be the mother of the Crystal Prince. What? <laughs> yeah. I don't oh, know how okay. that works. Yeah. Huh. But uh, yeah, yeah. So that's so. Th- thank you, Mel, for writing in because yeah. this is all very interesting. Thank you so much. That's awesome, and and I'm be- very happy that you are enjoying the podcast. Yeah, yeah. thank you, thank you, um, thank you very much. We always enjoy being able to s- like see emails that people send to us. It's very fun. Yeah, so, thank you. So any. Anybody else out there who wants to send us an email, uh, please feel free to do so you at uh, badprincessmovies at gmail.com. That's badprincessmovies at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, that's going to be it for this one, guys. So uh, along with the email, if you want to see us on Twitter, we chat chat with us there or look up clips of this and other movies we've talked about. You can find us on Twitter at Bad Princess MOV. And uh, we also have the catalog of Bad Princess Movies, which you could find at badprincessmovies.com. Thanks for listening. If you've noticed, it's been it's been real nice for me these past few episodes. Yeah. I've been having a great time. Like we had Thumbelina, then we had Rainbow Bright, then we had this. And now I am full of terror because I don't know yes. what Christy has been saving her energy for. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, so I imagine we'll be getting back to some... Uh, <laughs> some fucking nightmares some, for you. Some oh, real yeah. nightmares soon. Don't you worry. I've got... Oh, uh, boy. We are finishing off the uh, the Bad Prince movie month with a real banger. So oh, no. I- I'm honestly, I'm so, I am so excited to take a look at this next film. It is one that I have been hoping to show to a friend for the longest time. And finally, the opportunity arose with this podcast. Oh, boy. So get ready, Bree. Oh, no. But uh, yes, everybody stay tuned for that one. uh, Hopefully I will live. Yeah through it you just gotta make it to this but uh yeah that'll be it for this one thanks for listening thanks for listening (laughs) sorry i also i also got distracted because i have it playing on mute and we just got to the etiquette song again i was like hell yeah so my brain i mean we were like closing out the podcast and my brain was like oh you got to get some etiquette it's good well now now i know which song i'm using to close out there we go perfect Awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. See you next time. Look at the land of hate. I read the purple books. I'm going to